Today, we're, we're, we're talking about spiritual warfare. That was physical that we just prayed for. This is spiritual now, but it, there's a reality of spiritual warfare for every Christian that's in the Bible. In the Bible, it shows us this. In Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. I want to stop there for just a moment and show you the difference in fighting in your strength and your abilities and fighting this spiritual battle in His strength and His, his abilities. Look what it said. His mighty power. I want you, He wants you to be working from that basis. Not what you have, but what He has for you. And so that's why he says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Now there's, there's the term, the devil. There's a lot of people that, that don't even believe that the devil exists. Jack Handy in his book, Fuzzy Memories, writes that, that when he was a young man, there was a bully that was giving him a problem, making him pay his lunch money to him every day. He said, I would just give it to him. And then I decided, I'm going to fight back. And I started taking karate lessons, but I learned that the instructor wanted $5 a lesson. This must have been a while ago. He thought, $5 a lesson, that's more than lunch money. So he said, I, I just decided it was cheaper to pay the bully, and I gave up karate. <laughs> and and I, I think that there are some Christians today who are too willing to let this bully, the devil, push them around. They don't realize that they have power over him. He comes, we're going to read about that, but you have power when you stand in God and follow the truth that God would share from his word that we're going to read about today. How to armor up and spiritually protect yourself and your family. The first thing you need to do is you must realize you're in a battle and take it seriously. Nearly two-thirds of adult Americans believe that Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. Well, all you have to do is read the Bible regularly to see that the devil is a real being, cast down from heaven because he tried to overthrow us, Lucifer the angel. I don't want to make him more powerful than he is, but here's the deal. He's more powerful than you. He can take you out. Unless you stand in Jesus. He's not more, more powerful than Jesus. But Jesus is in you. And we'll read a scripture that shows you're much stronger when you stand in his power. The, the enemy can't defeat you. 52% of evangelical Christians don't believe that the devil exists. If you're wondering what evangelical is, this is really what it means. The media has made it something different. But evangelical means that you believe that the Bible is the standard, the inerrant word of God, and that Jesus is the only way. That's what evangelical means. And And... 52% of the people who believe that don't believe that the devil actually exists. Come on, man, we're talking reality here. Not only does he exist, he's after you and your kids. So if you don't know there's a battle to fight, you don't armor up. And so we need to understand this reality. Ephesians 6.12 shows us that it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there's a devil, and he has demons. There's not a devil behind every bush, but there's some demons behind bushes. That there's this re reality that we, that we have to deal with. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, or everything, to stand. This word devil that we read earlier in this text uh, is the Greek word diablo. And diablo, the, the, the definition is the one who divides. Isn't that interesting? You'd have thought it meant 
evil one. Or, but, it, but his primary purpose is to divide, to divide you from God, to v- divide you from your loved ones, and to break and hurt relationships everywhere. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So he, he, the devil does not live in Christians. You know, the, to, you know, I hear people every now and then say that a Christian was demon-possessed. Biblically, you never see that in the Bible. You never see where an apostle or a writer of the text or some, some believer says, the demons that are within me. You don't see it because that doesn't happen. You, what, you know, and you hear this talk about demonization this day. So, so the devil can't possess a Christian scripturally. But, but the devil can't oppress a, a Christian. That's an outward work. Not an inward work to control, but an outward work to hassle. And we see over and over again that he can't speak thoughts. Now here's why... I, if you don't believe in the devil and you hear a thought, you're going to think the thought's your own thought sometimes. Let me tell you a thought that's always the devil. Kill yourself. The devil comes to steal, to kill and destroy. God has wired you in such a way that you wouldn't even say that to your own flesh. And when you hear that thought, you can know that the enemy comes. But there are other thoughts. Remember, he even spoke to Jesus, throw yourself down from this place. And, and then you raise yourself up to show who you really are. I'll give you all the power. And Jesus answered him each time with scripture. And one of the things that, that, that I'd like you to know is he will try to put thoughts in your head. And you have to know that he wants the whole purpose of this is to divide you from God and from your loved ones. There's a book by C.S. Lewis, you know, that guy, that author from many years ago, the Chronicles of Narnia have been in the theater. He probably is uh, completely surprised in heaven when he sees what's happened to his books in this modern day, uh, you you know, in the theater. And he's a great writer, but he wrote a unique perspective book called The Screwtape Letters. And in The Screwtape Letters, uh, he he writes from a perspective of a demon. Now, he did this for God's purposes, so, so it's okay, trust me, I've read the book. Uh, but but he, he speaks from the perspective of Wormwood, a head demon who's teaching other demons how to tempt people. And here's what he says in his book. When two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voice and expressions of face which are almost unendurably irritating to the other. Work on that. Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particular lift of his mother's eyebrows when he learnt, that he learned to dislike in the nursery and let him think how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and does it to annoy. And if you know your job, he will not notice the immense improbability of that assumption. And of course, never let him suspect that he has tones and looks which similarly annoy her. As he cannot see or hear himself, this is easily managed. You know what I like about the perspective is what this scripture says, that, that, that our battles against, not, it's, it's not flesh and blood, but it's principalities and powers of darkness. It's what we just read there. And so the enemy wants to divide you from your spouse. Diablo, the divider. He wants to make you think irritating thoughts and think the worst. And we need to overcome. That's true with our children. That's true with our bosses at work. That's true with our neighbors. That's true with our extended family. Some of this division, we need to see it all as spiritual warfare, not battling against people or humans. I promise you, whoever that is that's battling you, they are not the problem. And it needs to be dealt with on a spiritual realm where we, where we look at this and ask God to come in. And, and we're going to talk about ways we battle that by putting on our, our armor today. 
And if you think I'm giving the enemy a little too much place in this talk and making him a little too powerful, look at what the scripture says in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now that was spoken to you and I as believers. Be alert. Be aware. There's a battle going on for you and for your family in the heaven, heavenlies. It's the devil. He prowls around as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So the devil is strong, but he's, but, but he's not nearly as strong as Jesus in you. Christians are stronger through the Lord. But we have to walk in him. We have to abide in him. See where, see where God's much stronger. It says, my dear children, in 1 John 4, 4, you belong to God and have defeated them because God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who's in the world. So we want to cultivate God. We want to abide in Christ and we want to defeat the enemy. And now the scripture is going to tell us how to do that. Battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not against your spouse. It's not even against your friend where there's division or former friend. It's a heavenly battle. And here's, here's how we win battles in life, by putting on our armor. And I said it this way. If you're going to armor up, you need to read, know, believe, and obey the Bible. That's how we armor up. I didn't say read, because that doesn't necessarily mean anything. If you read it, you may not believe it. I didn't say know, because you can know and still not obey. I didn't say believe because some people say I believe and they don't follow but I got a little thought for you if you're not following God somewhere you don't really believe that part of the Bible that he speaks of right otherwise you'd follow in that area so there's some unbelief that's there what it comes to is knowing reading believing but then obeying following him this is how we armor up Ephesians six fourteen: stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now let me say, you can, you can be a believer who loves Jesus, and if you don't armor up, you're vulnerable, and you can still get hit very hard. I know we can get, hard when it's com- get hit hard when it's completely in God's will, but when we don't follow Him, when we don't trust Him, and we leave ourselves vulnerable in some area that, that we're not following His truth, th- then we can get hurt more easily. So believers can get really hurt by the enemy even though they don't lose their faith. So this is why we need to do what the Word says. Verse 15, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. So he's shooting at us, right? Verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the Word of God protects us from the lies of the enemy. We're protected from the the attacks of the evil one that comes our way when we armor up. We need to read the Word of God every day. Here's what it says in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law should not depart out of your mouth, but you should dwell therein both day and night that you may observe to do carefully everything that's written there in it. So after you observe to do it carefully, it says, then you'll be prosperous and have good success. When's that abundant life kick in? Well, obedience is a big part of it. Don't have to obey. He'll love you even if you don't obey. But if you choose not to obey, you leave yourself uncovered somewhere and you get hammered. And God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't come to condemn, but he comes to say, I want to bless your life. I want to help you. Let me cover you. 
in this area. Put on the full armor of God. So for reading the Bible every day. You know, I, I read a story once about a guy who fought two dogs in this dog fighting, breeding thing. And he had a white dog and a black dog. And every week he would bet on one of them and he would always choose the winner. There's his own dog. So eventually people stopped betting because they realized he could pick, you know, it was a different one almost every week. So they finally said, how did you do it? And he said, it's easy. The dog I fed every week is the one that won. If I fed, the one I fed won, the one I didn't feed lost. So that thought with this interjected, if we don't read the word of God on a regular basis, if we don't take it and consume it and believe what it says, and we're sitting down to a television five or six hours a night or a computer, and we're looking at what politicians say. I'm going to tell you something. Politicians are saying something in the name of God. They're saying things in the name of God that aren't true today. They're talking like, you know, this is Christian, a Christian thought, and it's not Christian thought. But there's only one way you can know the difference, and that's to read the Bible. you got to feed that dog. Feed the white dog, not, not the black dog. So if your sitcoms are talking about immorality and sexuality and fun, and, you know, the Bible says you can enjoy uh, sin for a season, right? We're not going to lie. Sex can be enjoyable even outside of marriage, right? But only for a little bit because then the effects of the pain comes as relationships are broken and hardship comes into our lives. So we, God's not against sex. He created it, but he created it for the confines of marriage. So when we read the Bible, marriage between a man and a woman we see in the Bible. When we read the Bible, we can easily see these things. But when we're letting the things of the world, this television and music and everything come into our life, and we're, we're, do, we're listening to that more than knowing the Bible, then we start to believe these other things. And God says, I, I need you to armor up. I need you to believe the truth of my word. The word of God protects us. For instance, you can easily see if you read the Bible on a regular basis, and by the way, I want to show you this. We have our life journals. You can get them at the information table uh, um, in the lobby here. And, and I think they're $5, but if you don't have it, we'll give you one. It's just a systematic way to go through the Bible, to read it, uh, to make application. We have soap here, and it's self-explanatory in the book. It'll show you but to make application of what the Word's saying for you, what it's speaking to you that day, and then to pray over those things and make your prayer list. It's just a tool to help you. But, but um, I, I would hope that you'd grab hold of that because if, if you're reading the Bible every day, you're going to know that sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is all the way through it, that, that, that it's wrong. And, and, and so you'll know, that, you'll know the truth. You would easily see that in the Bible, homosexuality is called sin. Now, we're doubting these things these days. Why are we doubting that? Because we're not reading the Bible. You know, you hear me say it, and you say, oh, man, he's, he's pretty harsh on that one. I'm, look, just read the Bible. Don't even take my word for it. I could lead you astray. If you don't read the Bible, I could lead you astray up here, and I never want to do that. I don't want to be responsible for everything in your life. It's hard enough for me to figure it out for my life, and I'm called to speak the truth to the best of my ability to study and show myself approved, but you should never rely on one person to give you your stuff. Get in the Word. Find it in the Word. See the truth of the Word. Let it cover your life. So it speaks of the belt of truth, and this is where God's truth protects us from error. The Roman soldier would keep his tunic loose. It was like a free-flowing gown, and by the way, 
when Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he's most likely in prison because that's where he wrote most of his letters from. And the Roman soldiers are all, all around him. So he sees their gear all the time. And he must have been thinking that as he was putting some of this together. But they had a free-flowing tunic and they had a belt. And their belts were loose until they were ready for battle. As a matter of fact, the term, tight, we got to tighten up our belts, came from those days. Because in our day, we, like we get the loop right the first time in the morning, right? Unless you have to do it again at lunch. But you shouldn't have to because that's eating too much. And, and so, so, so what they would do is they would leave it loose and they'd have these free-flowing tunics, almost like dresses. And, and, but when they went to battle, they would tighten their belts. So tighten your belt meant get ready for battle. The belt of truth here. And then they would take these free-flowing uh, tunics, which if they ran would trip them up, and they would pull them up and tuck them in the belt, and they'd be ready for battle to, to, to go any which way that they, that they, that they needed to go. And, and so the deal is sometimes if we don't carry that belt of truth and if we don't believe the truth and follow the truth, then, then we're, our lives are too loose and we're going to get tripped up. You get tripped up over, over things. What can you get tripped up over? How about business ethics? We need to be careful as believers of Jesus Christ. Just because a boss tells us that we need to lie in this certain circumstance doesn't mean that you should yield to it. Maybe someone jilted you on, on an account once before so you, you get tempted to just put a little extra on someone else's when it really shouldn't be charged. I'm telling you, God won't bless these things. God hates dishonest scales, it says, where, where there's cheating and taking advantage of people when they, when they, when they don't realize it. And these are, these are things that can trip us up. You let down there, and you're giving an opening. The armor's not on. How about our spending habits? We, by faith, believe, and, you know, this prosperity doctrine's got, got us thinking we can get whatever we want, and the Lord will bless it, you know. And people are maxing their credit cards out to do this stuff. Let me give you a simple biblical principle. Live within your means. I'm not talking about being rich. I'm going to tell you how to be blessed in your life with your finances. Don't spend more than you take in. You say, well, I'm, I'm overspending now. I can't afford it. Well, don't. if you can't afford it, get out of that house. Get into a different car. Don't over, because it just leads to more and more anguish and trouble and heartache, and we leave ourselves uncovered, and we, you know, we're getting tripped up by some of these things in life, and it's causing division in, in, in marriages and beyond, and sexual appetites, when we, when, when we, when we know that we're not supposed to have uh, emotional relationships with the opposite sex beyond our spouse, and, and we let ourselves be vulnerable, and then we let a relationship start, and, and then people... I, I've, I've literally heard people say before, God told me to divorce my wife and to marry this person. Well, that would be against what the Word of God says, because the Bible says to be committed for life in that relationship. And, and, um, and, and, and perhaps in this area of pornography, you think, well, God loves me, and He'll forgive me, and He's with me, and He's full of grace. Well, listen, that doesn't mean He'll bless your sin. Even as a believer, what happens is the enemy will put you on a gradual decline and pretty soon you'll do more and worse and more and worse. And then you'll find yourself in a place where you, you, you can't believe you've gone there because he works with gradual desensitization. That's how the enemy does it, a gradual decline. 
So how do we battle this? We battle it with truth and the word of God. Job 31.1 says this. Job said, I've, I've, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. So in the enemy, here, here's how you overcome in the area of weakness or trial for you. Wherever it is, discouragement. Uh, get three or four scriptures around the truth that speak to that area. And read them and memorize them and quote them when the time comes that you're tempted. So if the enemy comes to tempt for this area of pornography and you say, I've made a vow with my eyes, a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman, just like when Jesus spoke the word and it broke the hold of the enemy, you're breaking holds. And we speak scriptures about truth and honesty and action and relationship. How about our eating habits? That can trip us up too. Well, we won't go there. I could, people would get mad at me. And how, how, about, how about our friends? I, I got a word for young people here today. You know, you tend, when your parents warn you about certain people, you, you tend to think, well, they're all fuddy-duddies, and, you know, they're just strict, and they don't know. Here's what the Bible says. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know what's interesting about that? It doesn't say bad company corrupts morals. Good morals. Good kids, people who know God, people who are following, following God. And if you're in a relationship with friends who are causing you to do things that are against the will of God and the truth of God's word, get out of that relationship. You say, well, doesn't God want us to be in relationships and influence people? Yes, he does. But get out of it till you're strong enough to walk with believers and you feel the strength of the Lord and when you can reappear to bless people and influence them instead of being influenced by them, then that's when you'll have a great impact. But if you're smoking dope with them and you're doing the party scene and you're doing these illegal things, they're dragging you down. They're not helping you, they're hurting you. And they're going to make life harder on you. So we can get tripped up in these areas. We need to be careful. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord. With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Say, well, I don't like what you're saying. Well, I'm only trying to say with the truth of the word. So evaluate that and see, see if you don't think if it's really in here. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. The breastplate of righteousness speaks of character and purity of heart. It protects the heart, the breastplate does with the armor. The vital organs, the shoes of readiness. This is, this is trusting in the Lord in such a way that you take his peace to know that as you follow his ways, he's got you. He'll help you. These soldiers would actually put spikes in their shoes when they went into battle, just like cleats for athletes these days, yeah? right, to get traction. <clears throat> I remember when I was a junior in high school, and I was on the varsity team. My dad was a preacher in a very small church, and we didn't have enough money to get shoes uh, for me to play. And, and you know, if you've played sports at all, you know that performance shoes are essential. Or if you don't have the right, uh, the right traction, you, you can't, you're going to struggle. My dad came and watched me at a practice, and I, I didn't have good shoes. And I was, I was slipping all over the court, and uh, he said to me afterwards, um, you need some shoes, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, why didn't you tell me? I said, Dad, because I know you don't have the money. What am I going to do, just make you feel bad? He said, let's pray. So we're at our house, and he says, God, Stan wants to play, and he loves you, and I know you love him. 
And he said, son, how much you need? And I, I said, dad, $40. Nowadays, it's 200 That was a while ago. <clears throat> and, and, and he said, okay, Lord, give him $40. He needs some good shoes. I'm not kidding you. Five minutes later, someone knocked at our door. Uh, I was 16 years old at the time. And this guy says, Pastor, I was just driving by, and the Lord told me I'm supposed to stop and give you $40. I have no idea what this is about. Dad didn't even tell him. He said, I, I do. Thank you very much, sir. That was God. Guy leaves. Dad gives me the money and says, God knows where you're at, son, and he loves you. I'm thinking, God is cool. All right? <laughs> so I'm thinking, he, he does. And, and, but, but you know what? Uh, you'll get pushed back. You'll get pushed aside if you don't have... The, the stance that, and the peace that comes from, from, from following, trusting, um, acknowledging his ways and the spiritual applications were secure in what Jesus did on the cross. So we don't have to get pushed around. The shield of faith, that's complete confidence in his power. The Romans would have these big shields that would interlock in battle. They would stop the arrows. They would, they would be able to push the enemy back. And I see an application here of staying close to the community of faith. We need each other. We need to be connected in life groups and small groups and locking arms. In our life group, every, every time at the prayer at the end of it, Karen and I are sharing our needs. And, and, and people in our circle, our friends are sharing their needs. We're praying for one another, for, for life, for children, for, for, for struggles that are going on. We're, we're linking arms and shields and walking together. And the Bible says where two or three come together in my name, I'm there and I'm with them in Matthew 18. Then there's the helmet of salvation. This is God's grace and his guarantee of eternal life. Do you know the Bible says that death has no sting for the believer? I'm going to tell you something that really helps me. I, I, first of all, I have a keen sense of self-preservation. I mean, I get close to a cliff. Some people can walk up there and look right over, right? I mean, I'm like, because I'm keenly aware of the consequences from falling from 100 feet, right? I mean, you will, you will die. <clears throat> but I'm not afraid of dying. I have a good sense of self-preservation, but I'm not afraid to die. Because when it's all over for me, I know where I'm going. I know he's got me. I know he loves me. That good, good father we were singing about. And the greatest moment in all of my existence will be when I see Jesus and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the goal for me. Someday, that day will come. And I, I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but did you know that your loved ones who know Jesus that have gone before have never sorrowed once about not being here? Because the Bible says there's no more sorrow in heaven. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain for the old order of things passes away. Why aren't they crying? You miss them because we're not in heaven. We don't have their presence. We, we feel the loss intensely, and God wants to help us and comfort us in these times. But there, everything's perfect, and there's joy. And, and, a, and, a, and a day is as a, is as a thousand years. So time is a whole different perspective, and, and just a heartbeat to them, and you're going to be with them anyway, because it's all eternity. So death has no sting for the believer. That, that is pretty cool to go through life thinking, I'm not afraid to die. That, that is what is spoken of here with this helmet of salvation to know that in the end we have this guarantee of eternal life. The grace of God that forgives, the grace of God that leads us through, that's part of the helmet too. Did you know that God wants you to know that his grace is for you when you slip and fall as a servant too, not just for salvation? Enemy wants you to beat yourself up and say you'll never be anything and see you did it again. And listen, God loves you. 
and His grace will keep reaching, and, and He'll forgive you, and He'll take your hand, and He'll pick you up, and, and you won't fall as much as you go forward. It's two steps forward and one step back sometimes, but the grace of God is there for you always, and to know that that love is yours makes you think, I don't even want to do that stuff anymore. He's so good, and this is so much better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Him. So we have the helmet of salvation with grace and this guarantee of eternal life. The enemy likes to bring things into our lives that will disorient and discourage us. And the head, the helmet of salvation, is where we take a blow to get disoriented. And, and, and it's the place where the mind is and the, the thinking and the wit. And, and God wants you to stay encouraged by, by trusting in Him and His salvation. And now we get to the two offensive weapons that are mentioned in this passage. Everything before this has been defense. Now I want to tell you something about defense. I've learned in sport and in life, and the battles have shown in war as well, that if you just play defense, you will lose. If you don't have something offensive going on, you can't win. If LeBron James, who I think most people would say is the best basketball player in the world, he's playing awesome for the Cavaliers in the playoffs, I keep rooting against him, and that is a vain thing to do because he just keeps winning as he goes. I just don't want one guy to win everything, but he's that good. But if LeBron said he would play me in one-on-one, I'm a 54-year-old man. If he played me in one-on-one and he never shot the ball, eventually I would beat him. It would be some kind of slop that was over the head blind four days later that finally went down. (laughs) But if he never shoots, he won't win. And I'm saying this to let you know that it's okay to be on the defensive and, and try to make it about behavior, but God says, I've given you some offensive weapons to destroy his work and to move you forward towards my will. And one of them is the sword of the Spirit, believing, speaking the Word of God, the Bible. I've been talking about along the way, but the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's not just a protective weapon, it's an offensive weapon. It's a cutting weapon. It can hack to pieces the lie of the enemy about false religion and philosophy. The Bible says when the day of evil comes, There will come a day. What's that mean? That's what it said earlier in the text. Put your armor on so when the day of evil comes, you'll be ready. Well, in this life, we will have trouble, Jesus said. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So sometimes it's our own behavior that opens it up for the enemy to hit us. But you read about great men and women of, of God in the Bible. They got hit all the way through as well. But it wasn't about their mistakes. It was about their journey to do something for God. And as they trusted him, they still became overcomers. But the day of evil is this. It's, it's any attack or test from the enemy that comes your way. And what the Bible is saying is it will come your way. Hard things will come your way. Even as strong believers, hard things will come your way. And these things help us. So I'm, years ago, a youth pastor in Salem, Oregon. And I'm out in the countryside, right around Mount Angel and farmland outside of um, Salem, and I'm riding a bike with this guy who does these touring bikes. I used to call them 10 speeds, but that just dates me because they're like 78 speeds today, you know. And, and so we're on these touring bikes, and he's teaching me how to ride. We're doing 25, 30 miles a day, and I love it out there. He's the kind of friend that I always talked about Jesus with. Those are the best kind. Talk about the Word of God and Jesus. Those are the good ones, trust me, because they encourage you as, as you as you walk along. And 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 so... So we're talking about the Lord and riding along in our bikes and we're going up a, a steep hill, 
right by one of these farms, and he's ahead of me because he's good and I'm just learning, right? And I'm gearing down or up, whatever it is. And, you know, I'm trying to make it easier to, to get this up the hill. And I'm just going a few miles an hour. And I heard this little clickety-click noise. That's all I heard. It's like toenails hitting rocks, which is exactly what it was. I look to my right. There's the biggest, ugliest bulldog I've ever seen a few feet away coming full speed right at me. Now, there are several kinds of dogs. There's the woof-woof dogs. They're the big, friendly ones that lick you so much they take the crease out of your pants, right? Okay? Then there's the little ones that act tough, but you're not afraid of them. You know, that sort of thing. They're, they're not, they're, they're not going to hurt you. You're not worried. But then the big, bad dogs make no noise because they don't want to notify you that they're about to take your foot back to their doghouse, right? And I, this is that kind of dog. I'm, I'm guessing he weighed 60, 80 pounds. Big bulldog. His teeth are bared like this as he comes barreling in. His nostrils are flared, look like a two-car garage. And he, he looked like a cross between a bulldog and an alligator to me. And he's right there, and I stood up, and what do I do? I can be defensive and just try to peek, pick my feet up and ride along till I fall over because I can't pedal with one foot well enough. And then he would get me. So I decided in that moment, in that split second, to be offensive. And I stood up on one pedal, and when he got close, I mean, this happened in a split second. I kicked that dog as hard as I could, hit him right in the snout. And this big, bad dog, I mean, we hit so hard, we both just stopped and were suspended in motion for a moment. I think I knocked him out on his feet. I kicked him so hard, he spread out like this with his four legs and was rocking like this. I know if he had two, he'd have gone down. But, but he, he just was rocking like that. Then he turned and just started wobbling back to the farmhouse. And courage welled up in me, and I thought to myself, he'll never do that to me again. And then I thought immediately after, because I'm never coming by here again, right? I'm going, I'm going another way. The day of evil will come. The enemy is going to come to hit you hard. Live your life well, but when the time comes, wield the sword of the Spirit. Get offensive with him. Start to pray and tell God to drive him back. Romans 16, 19 says, Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. That's battle, isn't it? That's a battle verse right there. So it's about our behavior. It's about our obedience, but it's about wielding that sword of the Spirit the way Jesus did in the desert as well, and we become overcomers. And the third thing, and I'm going to close with this point, Pray in the Spirit. That's how we armor up. Now, I, I have that gift that the Bible speaks of called the prayer language or speaking in tongues. And I believe that there's some element of this that it speaks of because when Paul speaks of in, pray, praying in the Spirit, often he, he speaks of a prayer language as well in the Bible. And so I want to encourage those of you who have that gift to use that prayer language every day because the Bible says it edifies and it builds up. But I don't think it's just about that. I think it includes that. But I think it's also letting every believer know that the Spirit of God, when you pray, will, will lead you and guide you. So, so when we kneel to pray, we're not just telling God what we want, but we're listening as His Spirit starts to strengthen us and build us up. You ever been in a place where you're kind of down and you, you, you kneel down to pray and you're asking God for help and then you start to extol His qualities? I love to do this in prayer because it reminds me of the difference between me and him. See, I'm, I'm, I'm battling on my own, and that's why I'm getting discouraged sometimes. But when I start to speak, 
You are the one true God. You're all-powerful. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. Something different happens in my heart because He's in me. When I, when I know that He fights my battles and that's who He is and I speak who He is, my, my, my emotions get transformed. And I might stand up, and this is true for you too, when you've prayed and you've talked to Him, you're not the same when you get up as you were when you went down on your knees. The problem might still be there, but the perspective is different because now it's His perspective and not just a human perspective. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. To pray in the Spirit is to be under the influence of the Spirit. Sometimes you don't know which way to go. You have decisions to make about your path. And when you talk to the Lord, I want you to know that not only do you pray, but the Spirit of God will lead you in the right direction. Well, I'm not saying every time you can get up and have A to Z for your steps going on, but I'm saying that the Lord will give you a sense of the right thing to do because He loves you that much. You're walking in purity, you're seeking Him, and He'll meet you and He'll lead you along the way. Years ago, I was a 14-year-old freshman and I went hunting with my dad for elk in the Blue Mountains of Eastern Oregon. It's the first time I'd ever been hunting. The men, his friends, and I were there and they told me what to do. I was out on the very end and they said, we're all going to walk down the hill, try to flush out the elk. Someone was at the bottom of the mountain. As we go over the ridge, just walk all the way down till you hit the road and then walk towards the middle and you'll be fine. And if you get lost, shoot your rifle twice. But they made it where I couldn't get lost, right? You know, we're just walking down and we're going to come out and we hadn't seen anybody all day long. We were that far up in the mountains. So I went to where they told me. I walked over, but I didn't know there's an intersecting mountain ridge. And they all walked over the right one down to the road, but I walked over this other ridge and down, and it was leading me a different direction, but I didn't have perspective. So I walked for 30 minutes. I'm in the snow, two feet of snow. It's coming down uh, in, in a big way. It's cold. There's cloud cover. I walked for an hour, didn't hit the road, so finally I shot my gun twice. But when there's cloud cover like that and you're on the other side of the mountain ridge, it doesn't sound the same and you can't get perspective of where those shots are coming from. So I got lost. I'd never been in the wild before. I walked for two hours looking for them. I shot again a couple of times. I walked for four hours. I got sweaty and it's freezing. I tried to stop, and I got colder, so I knew I had to keep walking. It started to get dark for eight hours, and I'm going to tell you what I was doing about 30 minutes in. I was only 14, but I started to pray, because I knew I was in trouble if I didn't find these guys. I knew I didn't know how to handle these elements. I prayed for two hours, four hours, six hours, eight hours, and I'd made a decision as darkness was falling, I guess I'll just keep walking all night, because if I sit down, I'm going to die. I didn't know it, but they had looked all day and they were around the fire just as nightfall had fallen and they were intensely praying, my dad and these men, that the Lord would protect me. And just as night fell, I saw a campfire and I walked up and after walking miles in that snow, I walked right into the camp where those men were praying. Some of you might be thinking, man, you were lucky. But I'm going to give God the credit on this one. You ever been in a situation in life where you didn't know which way to go? Where you really couldn't help yourself? Because you could say, oh, I'm going to go this direction hard, but that could be the wrong way. 
Did you know that when you're in those situations and you can't tell which way to go, if you'll just bring it to God and talk to Him, I firmly believe that He hears you, that He'll give you peace in your heart, but He'll somehow lead you out where you'll stand in a place that's the right place someday and say, wow, look what the Lord has done. Pray in the Spirit. Romans says the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. Romans 8.28, in the same way, I'm sorry, 8.26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Spirit will intercede. You'll find your way and your path coming right where God wanted you to be in His perfect will. Trust Him. Put that belt of truth on. Follow him with your life. Let me tell you when the abundant life kicks in. When you, when you follow him. See, party life is better. You know, if you like throwing up to the porcelain God, you know, on Sunday morning, I, I don't know. If you like the results of broken relationships. and Listen, trust him. It's better his way. Let him love you. Let him lead you to a place that will blow you away because it's so awesome.